Hello, hello, how's everyone doing? <laughs> so unlike I usually do, I'm actually gonna introduce myself for once. Uh, my name is Trayvon Smith. I'm the Young Adult Men's Director here at Crossings. And so we're so thankful to have you here tonight. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're currently in our series, A Deeply Formed Life. And on week one, Andy went through what does it look like to rest on the Sabbath? And then week two, Oakley got the chance to walk us through what does it look like to daily devote in our word. And then last week, we got to hear just how important it is to be in community, to do life with the people around you. And so tonight, I get the opportunity to walk us through what does it look like to have a prayer life. And so with that being said, it'd only be right for us to begin with a prayer. So if you'll just uh, take a moment and bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, each and every person in this room. Uh, I ask that it be more of you, less of me. And so I ask that your will be done, that uh, whoever the one person is that, that needs to hear this message will receive it. And so it's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so since we're talking about our prayer life, I felt it only be right to give you a couple stories to lead up to what my prayer life looked like and just the evolution of how I got to where I am now to somewhat be qualified on this. So we'll start with five-year-old Trayvon's prayer life that looked a little something like this. And let's just say I was uh, giving the world hell from a very young age. And so I can remember just running around the neighborhood, me and my friends, and I'll never forget that one day we're throwing a ball and we busted out the neighbor's window. And for me, my mom had always said, if you break something, I'm gonna break your butt. <laughs> and my mom is a four foot 11, army soldier, and when she said she would do it, she would. And so I just remember out of desperation, as soon as I, I did it, I just, I'm like, God, please help me. If you can just get me out of trouble, I promise I'll never lie again. I won't do anything else. Just please help me. I don't want my butt to hurt. And that was the end of that prayer. Did it work? No. I got my butt beat. <laughs> and so, but then as time went on, um, we elevate to seventh grade Trayvon, who finally got the eye for the girls. And I gotta give you a little, like I was four foot 10, 80 pounds soaking wet. I was the eye that every girl wanted in seventh grade. Not at all. They all towered over me, just looked down on me. But I remember there was this one girl that I just caught eyes for and I prayed this selfish prayer. God, if I can just get this girl, if she can just see past my height, past my immaturity, okay, a few other things, then I promise, like, we'll be good. I will honor you. Amen. And safe to say, again, I did not get the girl. That didn't come around for a long time. But then I even look at, once I got to high school, and suddenly I started to, to dabble into what did a relationship with God look like. Suddenly I was going to church. I was doing my devotional. And we're in the middle of football season, and I found myself praying this prayer. God, I've been faithful. I've been showing up. We're finally in this big game. Like, I just wanna honor you with, with this performance. If we could just win, I swear I will continue to give you all the glory. And for me, that, that was my prayer life. And I look back on it and it was just so transactional. I look back on my faith and I mean, my prayer really revealed so much of my walk. It showed growth, but it also showed the selfishness of my true heart. And so when I look at it, my prayers took a long time to develop because like many of you, no one ever taught me how to pray. 
I just had to look around and, and take in what I saw from the stage or from the people around me and just assume that this is how it's done. And so for me, that led to a lot of insecurities and different things that we're gonna talk about tonight. And so if you'll bear with me, I just wanna walk us through a process of how I found that has opened my eyes to prayer. And so the first thing I, I wanna talk about tonight is why do we pray? And for me, I've simply found that we pray to know God so we can do his will. It's so easy to open up the Bible and see all of these magnificent characters and the things that they accomplish, to, to highlight their faithfulness, to highlight their prayers, to highlight their sacrifices and forget that they are not the main character. It's so easy for us to look at them and even connect ourselves to them and sometimes think that we are the main character. And I think that somewhat pours into the way that we pray and the way that we live our lives because we start to think that, you know what, if we're the main character, then it's all about us. And then we somewhat construct this thought, whether we acknowledge it or, or really go into it, but we start to construct this thought that, you know what, God is here to serve me. If I check X, Y, Z, then I will get whatever it is in return. And so for me, I think I already wanna just dive in on the fact that God is the main character, period. It's not about us. He's not here to serve us. We are solely here to serve his will. And so for me, it, it brings me to the perfect example that Jesus laid out in what we're coming up on his final days. In Matthew 26, we, we see Jesus enter into the garden of Gethsemane and there, Prior, he, he mentions how his heart is in distress. He knows what's to come. And it's not like he's just happy to go and down a cross for, for everything that we had, but he still knew what the will of the Father was. And so if you go to it, in verse 39, it says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's letting you know, he doesn't, he doesn't wanna do this, but then he ends it with, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he takes a pause, he goes to the disciples. He kind of gets on to them for sleeping, but that's a story for another day. And he comes back and again, he goes into prayer. And he says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus in those two lines lays it out perfectly. It doesn't matter our desires, doesn't matter what we want, doesn't matter our comfort, it's his will. We exist to serve God. He doesn't exist to serve us. We have to get out of this gospel, out of this prosperity gospel mentality of a transactional God. I mean, if you need any example, you can look at the first three prayers that I just told you that I prayed and see that, I mean, as much as I can say, oh, I wanted to honor God with a win. God, I wanted to serve you and be the perfect example. It was all transactional. It was all for me to get, 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 all it is is take, and then I look back of what purpose was there? What part of God's will was ever served in that? And so it brings me to this verse, and that's James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so right there, I just think early on, let's just think, and why do we pray? It relates a lot to our heart. But more than anything, it's like, what are your motives? Do you view God as just 
I mean, I always like to say a sugar daddy who it's like, hey, whatever you want, you ask for and you get. Or is it someone that you're submitted to, you serve, and everything you get is just a gift. You enjoy it, you take it, but nothing more. And so it leads me to a character that I think of, which is uh, Paul. If you know anything about Paul's story and just the character that he is, you know that he's went through all kinds of things throughout the Bible. But even specifically, he's wrote about one-third of the New Testament. And so at one point, when we get to 2 Corinthians 12, we see where Paul cries out, says three times for the thorn in his side to be removed. We don't get specifics on what that thorn may be, and a lot of people have talked about it, but all we know is that he cried out three times to the Lord to take it away. And the Lord's response was no. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so I, I just think on that of Paul is, is someone who did immense work for the kingdom. And even in it, if you read the context around it, he even said it like, I want this to be removed so I can go out and do more of your work. But the simple fact is it was not God's will. And so it leads me to another sub point on this, which is why do we pray? Because it changes us. Not because it changes the situation, but because it changes us. Because you see right after that, Paul shows the change of his heart where he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Here we see Paul change. Even though the thorn remains, we see Paul change because he now knows God's will. Because he knows why it's there, he can now boast in the fact of, you're right. God, your power is all there. Your power is shown in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient. I don't need the desires of my heart because I know now the purpose that I serve. And so not too long ago, I sat right where you were sitting at another church night, and I heard this uh, quote. It says, much of my following God is unlearning to follow myself. Much of my following God is unlearning to follow myself. And for me, when I, I really sat down in that, what does that mean? It means unlearning to follow my desires, unlearning to follow my direction, unlearning to follow my comfort, and even more so, unlearning to follow my will. And so it just brings me to, to wrap up this first point. Again, we are not the main character. We are here to serve his will, not ourselves. And so we now see why we do pray. And it brings me to the second point that I think is so important, and that's why don't we pray? And as I talked with the rest of our staff in preparation for this message, the central thought that we came to is that we make it about ourselves. Just being clear, we make it all about us. I think of a time when, um, for me, it was when I was going into high school as a freshman. My grandfather is a deacon in the church. When I say this man, for as long as I've been alive, he's had a study room in the house. He has maps, he has all kinds of study materials, like he can quote scripture like the back of his head. And so every holiday, every celebration, it never failed, he'd open us up in a prayer. And when I say in my family, while you're praying, if you wanna know if you're doing good, you'll hear a couple, mm-hmm. 
Yes. Amen. If you don't get one of those, they wasn't filling your prayer. I'm just letting you know, that's just how it was. But I'll never forget because I got a, I got a scholarship to a private Christian school my freshman year. And suddenly I was in Bible classes and so my grandfather thought, you know what, Trayvon's the perfect example. You know, he's at this fancy school, they're teaching him all this. You know what, he's gonna do the prayer. What he didn't know is that in my first month of Bible class, I got caught cheating on the memory verse because uh, it just wasn't clicking. We're past those days now, that's why I'm up here. But yes, I did get caught cheating in my Bible class. But I remember whenever he, he said that, my gut reaction was, no, I don't wanna do it. And my grandfather is a very large, burly man who has always done construction and other things. You don't tell him no. And so I remember I sat there and the only thing I could think of is fake it till you make it. I'm gonna imitate what I've seen. So I started trying to remember as much as I could from what he used to pray. And then when I ran out of that, I just started looking around the room. It's like, God, be with my aunt. You know, she needs another job. Be with my sister, she's getting on my nerves. And like, <laughs> it was just rambling on and on. And I remember when I got done, I just hurried up and said amen because I just felt like, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing and there's nothing here. And honestly, if I can be, be true, it's always led to a deeper insecurity of, I didn't wanna be embarrassed. I didn't want people to know that I didn't know how to pray. I didn't want people to know that I didn't quite know where I was going with my prayers. And honestly, I feel like most of you can probably relate. I've seen it a thousand times whenever we're in small groups, it's like, who wants to pray? And everyone goes from talking all out, it's like, and then they shrink into their chairs like, not me. How many of us have, have shied away from prayer just because we've seen all these elaborate prayers. We've seen the things around us and we never understood them. We never knew the heart behind it. Matthew six is an example where it's one of the Lord's prayers and in it, Jesus addresses how the Pharisees pray. And he talks about how they pray these long elaborate prayers. And in it, he says, their entire reward will be right now and what they get from the crowd around them. And he points out how it's so empty, how they go on and on just to be heard. They use a number of words in Babel just to impress those around them. And he says, this is not how we do it. This is not the purpose of prayer. And we'll get to how we do pray, but I just wanna lay it out. It's not about the fancy words. It's not about the length of it. It's not about the show. It's about the heart. And so then, what's another reason why we don't pray? I think, honestly, it's the answer that we get from the Lord. There's a lot of us that have hearts that are hardened from having a transactional faith. I've seen that God answers yes, no, or later. And for some of us, we'd like to think that we'd be like Paul and have an immediate change of no. Okay, Lord, then I'll serve you all the more. But if we're being honest, some of us have been told no, and we turned away. We've pouted like a child and said, you know what, if I don't get my way, then why am I serving you? We're stuck in this transactional mindset, and so it makes me think, are you praying or are you demanding? There's a difference between the two. A prayer is presenting to God and knowing that in his power, he can't answer it, but he doesn't have to. He's bigger than us. 
It's not about us. A demand is saying, hey, you have to do this. I've earned this, you owe me this. So ask yourself, are you praying or are you demanding? And then I think another reason why we don't pray is, honestly, our culture has kind of turned prayer into just a casual gesture. I say this because how many times have you gotten on Facebook or something and you saw a tragedy and you see just the floods of, oh, I'll be praying for you. Some of the people that you know have never stepped foot in a church, they don't even believe in God, but they're, I'm praying for you. How many of us have sat in conversations and we've heard a friend or a family member just pour out that, hey, I'm hurting. It's like, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. And we walk off and we never even do it. We've shrunk it down to, to just a, a nice gesture for comfort. But how many of us can honestly say that we've prayed every prayer that we said we we're going to? I haven't. I know I was convicted when one of my friends was going through a, a great tragedy and I was like, yeah, I'll be praying. And then months down the road, he came back. He's like, thank you so much for praying, but you know, I just didn't feel like it worked. And then in me, I was like, well, what if I actually had a prayed? Which leads me to my final reason why I think we don't pray. And I think it's because we don't know God's will. And so we don't see where our prayers interfere with God's will. We don't see where they intercede. The mystery of prayer is how it intercedes with God's will. And that's what we don't know. We see multiple examples where God has heard the cries of people, where he's, he's reached out and answered prayers, but we don't know what's in there to change the ones that he doesn't answer. But what I do know is that prayer works. I do know that he, he responds, that he answers. And so Charles Spurgeon has a nice quote that goes along with the mystery. And he says this, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. If you don't know what that last word is, omnipotence is all powerful all-knowing, and so it's just saying like there, there is nothing that comes close to comparison of God's power. He knows yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He knows each and every one of us by name. And so just in that quote, again, it says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. We don't know how it works, but we know it does. And so even though we don't know God's will, all the more we should pray. All the more should we lift it up because, you know, he already knows the emotions that we're going through. He knows what's going on. He wants to hear our cry. And so lift up those prayers. God hears our prayers and he knows that we, what we will feel long before we do. Lift those prayers that they might intercede with God's will. And so we talked about why we do. We just listed out a couple reasons why we don't. But then I think the biggest part comes down to the fact of how do we actually pray? You can know the why, you can know why not, but if you never know how, then where do you begin? And we're not the only ones that, that have this thought. And so as we look into how do we pray, I go to Luke 11. And the reason why I go here is because the disciples actually point out exactly what we're thinking. So I just wanna read this for a second and go back to it. But Luke 11 says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place 
And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, I'll be your name, your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we are also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so here, Jesus gives an example to the disciples of how to pray. But I think about the humility that it took for them to go up to him and just say, will you teach us? We don't know how. Imagine out of the 12, John is the only one that knows. I imagine that would spark some insecurity as Jesus keeps sending them out to go and do his work. Whenever they get to the point, they're like, well, we always see Jesus go off and pray. We see John go off and pray. Better yet, John has his own disciples and they know how to pray. How do we not know? I imagine it, it could create a list of reasons why they don't pray. And so out of their humility, they simply ask. And so how much more do some of us just simply need to humble ourselves and say, God, I need, guide me, show me how to pray. And even more, we see in his word that he lists out the example. And so for me, I came to two conclusions on how do we pray? And that's that we pray constantly and we pray honestly. We pray constantly and we pray honestly. You see, one of the lines in the Lord's prayer says, give us our daily bread. And so for those of you that maybe haven't been in church that long, our daily bread is in reference to a story in Exodus where when the Israelites were led out of Egypt and for 40, for 40 years they wandered and during that time, God daily dropped down manna, which manna is simply also known as um, bread of heaven. So every day they would wake up and like the dew on the ground, there'd be manna for them to eat and it'd be just enough to fulfill their daily needs. So much so that he told them, do not save it. And even though a couple of them didn't listen, and when they didn't, the next morning it says they woke up and it was rotted. There were maggots all over it. It said the only day that you could store up more than enough for just one day was the day before the Sabbath, because you were supposed to rest on that day. And so when it says our daily bread, it's telling us that we, we need to rely on God daily just as they did in those times. And so I think of this, I don't care who you are, we sin daily, we struggle daily, and we question daily. So that simply leads me to the conclusion that we need God's grace and direction daily. It has to be constant. And so when it comes to the consistency of your prayer life, I ask you this, is it a steering wheel or is it a spare tire? And so for some of you, you may be thinking on this, but I'll just go ahead and lay it out for you. Most of you drive. Every day you get in your car, you grab the steering wheel. If you don't, you've probably hit a lot of things and I'm surprised you're here. But every day you grab the steering wheel and you use it to direct your path. You use it to keep you out of trouble. You use it to get to where you wanna be, not just where you end up. Right? 
And then I think of a spare tire. Some of you don't even know if you have a spare tire because newsflash, new cars don't always have them. But I think of this, a spare tire is only used in an emergency. You don't wake up every day and go, all right, let me go change and put on the spare tire because there's no need for it. You only use it whenever there's a blowout, whenever there's a problem. And some of us, I think, in our prayer life, because we're not doing it constantly, we use our prayers more as a, a spare tire than we do a steering wheel. So what does your prayer life look like? Do you use it daily? Do you go to it? Is it something that you use to guide your path or is it just something that you reach out for in emergency? And so that's constantly, but also think about this honestly. Throughout the word, it says, from the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. We don't need to take what we feel and prepare some type of presentation to a God that knows everything about us, that has uniquely designed us. He knows our hearts. Yet some of us think that in order for me to pray, I gotta get my life together. I have to come in this certain posture. I can't be upset. I can't yell. I can't do this. And it's like, he just wants you to come. It's not about the way that you come. He just wants you to come with an honest heart. He wants the overflow of your heart. First Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. And so as I just went through studying, I just looked at a couple examples of different postures that I saw throughout the Bible in different prayers. And so a couple different postures I saw is sometimes your prayer will look a little bit like a plea. Psalms 143 by David, it says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to me cry for mercy. He's playing for God. He's letting them know. Sometimes it's gonna be a vent. You're not always gonna be happy with the circumstances going on in life. You're not always gonna understand. And I, I wanna tell you, it's okay to be frustrated and just say, God, I don't understand. Habakkuk, one of the prophets in the Old Testament says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I mean, he's just, he's letting God have it. And then sometimes it's gonna be in tears. In 1 Samuel 10, we hear of Hannah, and it says, in her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And then sometimes it'll come in silence. Hannah, again, it says in 1 Samuel uh, 10, 13, well, 1 Samuel 13, Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And sometimes we have to go into isolation. Luke 5.16, which is just after uh, Jesus deals with the leper, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Sometimes we gotta get alone. We have to get away from the distractions of the world. And I don't think it's just for ourselves because when I think about communication, when I think about actually getting to know someone, you can't get to know someone if all you do is run your mouth and you never shut up and listen. To be honest, a lot of us probably need to do a little less talking and a lot more listening. And that's probably the hardest part for me is how do I sit in isolation, in quiet, and let the Lord speak to me? It's hard to know his will when we don't listen. And then finally, sometimes it's gonna be out of a posture of giving thanks. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Sometimes we don't need to do anything other than just say thank you. Again, our life is a gift. He doesn't need us. And so everything we get is a gift. Sometimes it just takes us waking up and saying, you know what, look around you and look at all that you've been blessed with. God, thank you for life today. God, thank you for food to eat. Thank you for a job to go to. Thank you for the opportunity to get an education. How often do we take the time to say thank you for what we do have versus begging to get out of the situation we're in, begging to get more of what we don't need? And so I just think of this. At what point are we gonna just take the time to give thanks? Not give a request, not give a plea, not say how frustrated we are, but just say, God, I'm thankful. Thank you for everything you've done. To me, I think this just means your prayer can be done in the car while driving. Again, we're, we're looking at the construct of what prayer looks like, and I, I wanna just debunk everything that maybe you know. It doesn't have to be this elaborate presentation. It can be you sitting in your car in silence. It could be you listening to worship music. It could be you bowing down on your knees in the front pew, just crying out to God. It could be you sitting in tears, letting the overflow of, of your heart just say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm hurting. I don't understand. I can't even construct words. Your prayer can come in so many shapes and forms. Don't let what you've seen of the world, what you don't understand, limit you from expressing the heart of worship towards God. And so I just got one more story for you that I really wanna drive home and that's my own story. And it's the thought of at one point when I was in college, if you know my testimony, um, man, my freshman year of college, things just hit rock bottom. I found myself chasing after my own will, chasing after all the things that I thought I desired and it just left me empty. It left me alone, it left me lost. And I got to the point where I, I didn't know where else to turn. And I remember I went out to a party and just, man, I got to a point where it was just, it was bad. And someone invited me to church and I didn't wanna go. And I'll fast forward through the story, but long, sto long story short, uh, the person who was supposed to take me to church the next morning uh, called, I ignored the call. So they climbed up the fire escape of my dorm to the third floor and drugged me to Life Church on Northwest Expressway. And I can't remember what was said that day, but I, I just remember that by the end, I sat there and he said, you know what, whatever is on your heart, let it be known to the Lord. For some of you, you're running and there's nothing else left but to submit to God. And so I listened to what they had to say that day and I, I remember just expressing a prayer. God, I don't know what else to do, but I'm giving my life to you. Do what you will, because what I'm doing is not working. I'm lost, I'm hurting. And the most amazing thing happened. My situation didn't change immediately. I didn't know if it would at all. But the craziest part is just this unfathomable peace that came over me. When suddenly I realized that I don't have to worry about tomorrow. If it's in God's will, then it'll happen. And if it's not, then it won't. When suddenly I realized I don't have to control the outcome of everything that I do. All I have to do is show up and be obedient. 
And all of that didn't click in that one moment, but the one thing that did was just the overwhelming peace that came over me. And I think of this, when we are empty, we're in the perfect position to be filled with God's grace and peace. So when I said give thanks, I read Philippians 4, 6 that says, do not be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The following verse to that, Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and give you peace. I experienced that firsthand. And for some of you, I challenge you to try it. I challenge you to test that out. And so one last prayer from Jesus in his final moments when he's on the cross, we hear him utter the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for me, I look at this and it's God in human form and he's showing his unmatched mercy and love for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he's hanging on a cross, after he's just been beaten, while he's being mocked, while he's being spit at, his last prayer is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the God we pray to. That's the God we serve. It's not just some, some being out there that simply wants a slave. It's someone who cares about us. It's someone who loves us. And so when you think of your prayer, we pray to know God so we can do his will. Our prayers don't change the will of God, but it does change us. And so I'll lead into three so what's just as we get ready to wrap up. And these are my challenges to you. My first one is start praying. If you don't know how, if you don't know where to begin, just take what you learned tonight. Go back to scripture. I mean, Oakley said it perfectly when she said, like when we're walking through daily devoting to our word, there are a number of prayers that we can use as examples throughout the Bible. You can start there. But even if you have nothing else, just, just utter the words like, God, your will be done. It's as simple as that. God, help me. God, be with me. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate or crazy, but you have to start somewhere. My second one is use your prayers as a, as a heart check. Again, every one of your prayers, superficial, deep, whatever it may be, it's a revealing of your heart and what you believe of God. If you don't believe God is good, you're never gonna pray for the goodness of God to come over you or those around you. If you think that God is just a give me God, you're always gonna pray for things and when you don't get them, your heart is gonna be hardened. You're gonna turn away. And so if you really wanna know a measure of where you are in your faith, look at your prayer life. It'll tell you a lot about your heart and what you desire. And then my final one is this. We have some incredible volunteers that will be more than glad to pray with you tonight. And if, that, if you have community around you, you have some people that you know are willing to pray for you, start there. Get with the community and people around you like Andy talked about last week and allow them to pray into your life. Allow prayer to change your life. And so as we go into 120 seconds, I'm gonna have them put a Luke, Luke 11 back up there. Just as an example, 
of what Jesus gave the, the disciples as an example of prayer. And during that time, I know it may be uncomfortable, but I want you to open up to whatever posture God leads you to. And not out of just the show for us to get a picture or anything else, but truly out of the overflow of your heart of what God leads you to. So if that's to your knees, to just openly pray to him, do that. If that's getting up and walking to the, a corner of the room in isolation, but I want you to use this time as just a time of reflection, but also a time to, to dive into prayer. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or elaborate, but if you'll just take that time and then we'll come back out.